1: Welcome back to another installment of Miami Nice, the podcast that is obsessed with Michael Mann's 2006 movie, Miami Vice. And today I'm here with my co-host, Blake Howard, and we have gotten one of our Uh, white whale guests onto the podcast. Uh, We have been talking about her article the entire time we've been recording this podcast. It is the amazing uh, entertainment and Hollywood reporter, Kim Masters, who wrote a seminal article for Slate about the production of Miami Vice. So welcome, Kim, we are so excited to have you here.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I think the white whale thing is a reference to the <laughs> endemic COVID-19 we're <laughs> all <laughs> struggling with, but I'll allow it.
1: Oh, no, 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 no not at all. Not we just, it. Every time, it's somehow every time we do this podcast, we have been, we, we say, oh, uh, Kim's article mentioned this and Kim's article mentioned that
2: and also
3: or, or guests, yeah, or guests go, bring it or up. So, I read, did
2: not know this. So you, I, have, that yeah. was a yes, thing of <laughs> legend, but okay, it's good. I'm happy to hear it.
3: Kim, I just want to say firstly, thank you so much. We literally had, I don't know if it's like the Miami Nice Most Wanted list, but you've been at the top of it, so yeah. it's so okay. great to have you here. How
2: Michael Mann would feel about that.
3: <laughs> no. well, well, it's well, Michael
2: Mann, and then you. Yeah. Right? Well, well
3: yeah. M- Mr. Mann, Mr. Mann has been a guest of some of our other shows, so if he ever does want to come on again and talk about Miami Vice, we'd obviously love to have him. But um, the, I guess what we've always been fascinated with in this sh- in this film is the turbulence behind the scenes and we, we, we love it. And I think what's great about your article right from the beginning is like, if people like this movie, it's a miracle because, and, and I've always taken that sort of ethos with like, if people like this movie, it's a miracle. And, and so, so many people, when they talk about it, who may not be familiar with your article, just have no clue that this, this entire production, the time it was being made, some of the challenges that they face that you go through and catalog in your article are kind of like. Insane, like levels of insane that other film productions don't have to do. And there are usually. And then
2: they become a story.
3: They become a story. So um, please, please, we would love to hear from you about uh especially like the gestation of the article and and we just started talking about at the time the article was written for slate you've got many bylines uh obviously the hollywood reporter vanity fair time esquire like you've written books but um this is like a real movie story so please like just tell us in the nicest possible way please tell us absolutely everything you can remember
2: (laughs) i actually cannot remember exactly what got me started on I mean, I think that at the time, maybe there were rumors. That's usually what happens. There's rumors that the productions are troubled and expensive and going over budget and maybe delayed. I can't remember if this movie was delayed, but something something lights that fuse of what's going on. There's a, There's a certain amount of serendipity. Someone I know had a family member on the crew. I don't remember if that started me with the stories, but something started. And we've seen this, this is not, a, you know, an isolated thing. I have seen this on, on World War Z, it was the same thing. Yes. Um, The uh, Iñárritu movie, The Revenant, yes. same thing. You start to hear about problems. And I will say you get to a point on these productions sometimes where the crew and sometimes the cast as well starts to lose, either lose faith in what the director is doing or just get mad to the point where they are really ready to talk. And that was to some degree the case with this movie. They were just so tired of what was going on with Michael Mann uh, that they, you know, it, and I, I often say it, it takes a lot to get your crew that disenchanted with you. You really have to be a jerk or a mess in some shape or form. I mean, You you know, I think the crew on on uh, World War Z was just ready to to I mean, they kind of quietly replaced the director and shot the last third of the movie over. I think the crew was ready to just tie the guy to a chair and gag him so he would (laughs) stop talking. And uh, (laughs) it happens. It happens. They just turn. And that happened on this film. And that's a bad day. And I will tell you the degree to which it happened. It's something that I really remember about this movie. this story that is still kind of bugs me in terms of the Michael Mann of it all. You know, as you can see, he's quoted in the piece and he his publicist decided to put him on the phone with the great legendary Pat Kingsley, if memory serves. And he answered a bunch of questions. And one of the questions was about the hurricane, which was Katrina and how the crew had certain people on the crew had said we were uncomfortable shooting during a hurricane warning. And Michael Mann in that call said, oh, no, 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 I didn't do that. It was a hurricane watch, and it really wasn't a warning. I mean, a watch is more like a preliminary, maybe there's going to be, but it wasn't a warning. And and I didn't, in that moment, know better. But when I went back to those sources, uh, they were so incensed because that, that was a lie that they copied their pay stubs with the timestamps on them to show that they had been sh- ordered to shoot during a hurricane watch for Hurricane Katrina. Very dangerous and not really legal. And I remember the uh, the film people, this, the Miami film people, uh, tap dancing around this because they didn't want to say that this had happened. You know, they, they were being pressured, obviously it was really, you know, it makes you realize the film industry's power is so great that they were willing to kind of cover up and paper over a director telling a crew to shoot during a hurricane warning And where I think if I'm remembering the windows broke at one point and sort of rained down on Carol and Jamie. Well, so, you know, I did go back and I tried to say, excuse me, I think you lied (laughs) (laughs) because I have physical proof in my hand that you lied. And of course he's no longer available. Can't get him on the phone. Uh, You know, I, that kind of thing is you don't forget as a reporter, you lied to my face and you won't come back and explain that you were mistaken or come up with some excuse for what you know you did.
3: (laughs) My God. I mean, that that particular line in the article which is we've closed a freeway down and two people are riding in riding along uh uh with the top down in in, in a convertible, convertible and the windows shatter and the glass goes all over the convertible and damages the car and damages the guys it's like that
2: that's Who does insane. that
3: that's
2: insane. And then the city, the Miami, I and mean, we can't remember if it was the city or the county, whatever the film authority is like, yeah, no, Pinky. It's not a problem. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Like that should have been a, a major problem, obviously. I mean, I was saying to, you know, this this behavior of, and Michael Mann is unapologetic in the story. He's like, Yep, get on a different movie if you don't like it. And that was that was an ethos. You know, Jim Cameron was the same way, you know, you're tough, you know. I really hope we're moving away from that now. And you see the reaction to the reporting that my colleague at The Hollywood Reporter did on Scott Rudin and other publications have subsequently done. You know, there is a kind of a recoil from that extreme of, of abuse. And there should be. I mean, there's always been this thing like, yeah, they're creative, so they do this stuff, but not everybody's creative does that stuff. You know, I don't think you would see a, a situation where Steven Spielberg is telling people to shoot burner hurricane warning or, or get off the production. No. And that wasn't, you know, all of it, you know, he was, he was recording these directions into a, like stream of consciousness and he would make errors or contradict himself. And the crew is sitting there trying to make plans. You know, these things don't, you don't just step out onto a set and start shooting. <laughs> like Things must be put into place. And he's, like saying, make it yellow, no make it blue. And you don't know, does he want blue or does he want yellow? Uh, you know, that's inefficient. It's kind of a lot like the Scott Rudin thing. Also we had on my show, the business, we had three former Scott Rudin assistants. And one of them made this point, like this constant turnover and yelling and screaming is highly inefficient. And with, with movies, you know, every minute is money. And so when he's saying blue, no yellow, and you don't know which one it is, you're just wasting. And he did go over budget, as 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 is predictable. So you know, it's up to the studio, I guess. Is it worth it? I don't know that the uh, ultimate payday from Miami Vice was. I've never analyzed that.
1: Well, it's interesting, you know, mentioning that. You know, obviously you interviewed Man. I mean, I think a lot of these articles about troubled productions or about you know things like this, usually the the creator is not as involved in in the interview process and and is willing to talk about it you know usually it's just sort of a canned statement or some sort of um release through a spokesperson so i think it's so interesting that you did talk to him and even though it might have been spun in a certain way that he was quite unapologetic and circumspect about the 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 conditions of the shooting and and all the chaos that was happening whether it was uh you know someone getting shot in the Dominican it's, Republic or shot, hurricane yeah. with <laughs> blasts raining onto Jamie and Colin in the Ferrari or whatever it is I mean I think it's interesting that he was willing to sort of go there I mean was that unusual for you were you
2: surprised you know, at all I mean it's happened I'll tell you when the when we did the Revenant story where the crew was fed up and he did put people in the area to put people at risk and I sort of thought he was safely off filming in Canada when I was reporting the story like you know I'll get something like that you know and, and I to my uh, to my shock I got a call like late afternoon saying he is in LA and wants you to come to his office now <laughs> it's like I guess that's good, but do I? Have to? <laughs> and, you know, he he felt uh, in the same vein in a way as Michael Mann. I mean, he made a bigger effort to be charming, but he honestly thought I could tell that I'm going to charm my way out of this with this reporter. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to be so charming. But you can't charm your way out of half your crew getting on the phone. It's not one or two usually in these situations. It's a bunch. You've lost the crew. And uh, that's hard to charm your way out of. And the piece came out the way it came out. Of course, the movie went on and did very well. So it doesn't, you know, one of the points I like to make with it's because studios, I haven't done one of these stories in a while, but they get so reactive and scared that it's going to put a pall. I mean, I know that Universal then had thought that I ruined Battleship because we wrote a story sort of questioning the making of battleship the movie that i think by the look on your faces you're like what's that it's a no, no, no. oh no we know
3: the look on our faces goes we know exactly what battleship is." oh okay sorry I <laughs> but uh y-
2: you know i often point to like we did a piece about noah the the uh um aronofsky film and they did not put him on the phone but one of the studio execs sat down and really just talked through things that were going wrong. And you know, if the movie came out and did better than I would have imagined, it, it doesn't, World War Z did fine. It the story, if the movie delivers, as I, I like to say to these studios, if the movie delivers, you don't have to worry about a, a difficult production story that may actually increase interest, but the movie has to deliver.
3: Yeah, it's the, the the most famous one, which actually now has a lot of new generation filmmakers going, I wanna make my apocalypse now. And the, gra- and the great filmmaker, Chris McQuarrie, who's a very successful now director of the, obviously the Mission Impossible franchise, Chris McQuarrie says, all you have to do to make Apocalypse Now is go insane, go like a couple hundred million dollars over budget, mortgage your house, maybe have deaths in the family, maybe have a Filipino government just, you know, pull helicopters away half through the All that's fine. Nearly kill yourself, have a heart attack, have one of your stars, have a heart attack. Then you can make Apocalypse Now.
0: Yes, but, that's but, and then just before
3: sign. and then just before that, you just have to make the Godfather, the Godfather Part Two, and the Conversation, and a San Francisco Opera, all in sequence, and win multiple Academy Awards. Then you can do that. So it's I, but I, I completely agree. I think sometimes these things, um, like especially with the Godfather, uh, sorry, especially with the Apocalypse Now example, that's the legend of that movie you buy the movie now with the hearts of darkness documentary. That's how Francis Ford Coppola packages. It's like, this movie is a miracle and here's the insanity that resulted in this miracle. So like right. you, you, if, if the movie delivers, you're hundred percent, right. Then we, I
2: mean, we're in such a different world now in terms of maybe on an indie film, but a studio film, I mean, studio films still go awry, but um, it's not, you know, we're in so much more of a corporate world that I I, I think it, they at least try to be a little bit more buttoned down. It's very hard though. It's a creative business. I mean, I'm not willing to, I, I, I'm willing to say it's not like, I, you know, it's not like making the perfect hamburger, you know, there's no recipe. And so you're putting yourself out there and it's stressful. I think sometimes the success that people have had you know, even on this film with Jamie Foxx, he won an Oscar before they got into it. And he suddenly was showing up with his big entourage, and having a lot of demands, some of which were perfectly reasonable, by the way, not wanting to go to a very dangerous part of Paraguay for the final bit is, I would not have an issue with that. I mean, you know, he made them do the ending over because he wasn't going to go he was refusing. So but, you know, I I, creative people, things are going to happen. That's for sure. But I don't know. You, I, I feel like it's not quite the same. I don't know. Maybe because Marvel is such a machine, you never hear anything. You never hear anything. Uh, they somehow have it buttoned down. And it's been a while since we've really looked. I, I'm trying to think the last time we said, let's do a production gone haywire story. And it really has been a while.
3: Dante Spinotti, who is one of Michael Mann's frequent cinematographer collaborators for many, many years um, spoke to, the show one time and dante said he worked on the the ant-man movie with peyton reed i think it's ant-man and the wasp the second one and he just said everything's animated like they an- basically essentially animate the whole movie right as their plan and so,
2: they, really, and yeah.
3: and so, so they animate everything even the shots they're going to do in live action so they kind of get a gist of where they want the cameras to look because they they're at the same simultaneously with all of the special effects the special effects people are built rendering backgrounds and things changing. And so he talked about it being like one of the coolest people, groups of people to work with, one of the most, he, he, he had the best lighting rigs, the most insane equipment he's ever had at his, at his uh, disposal, but it was for a very specific thing that they already knew what was basically going to happen. So there's only so much you can do. So I imagine it's like that. It's like, if you are so rigorous, like Marvel, it's like, there's no, seek. like that's sometimes the. The, the critical disparity on it is like there's no spontaneity it feels like it's cooked in a lab and then it comes out of the lab and it looks like the lab movie and it's
2: yeah and then it grosses like a billion dollars <laughs> plus so i mean you know kevin feige has made everybody else suffer by because he has this unbelievable track record of success and everybody you know certainly warner's has had constant comparisons to their detriment and it's it 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 kills everybody it just shows you the value of someone with that kind of vision but yes if you are you know i we had chloe zhao on our show to for the rider, which was this wonderful small film, film, and she was already signed to do the Eternals, and I was thinking, how is that gonna go? <laughs> what are you doing? Chloe? <laughs> they seem to kind of want to give it a shot, you know. And certainly, Ryan Coogler is probably the one who made it more his own than anybody. But uh, yes, Marvel—it's like they—they they seem to really know what they're doing, and they do it every time.
1: I think that what's interesting about Miami Vice and the the troubled behind the scenes is that it it feels like the production like informs the text of the film you know it's not like they're trying to cover it up like oh you know all this bad stuff is happening you know there's a hurricane it's like the the air feels like there's a hurricane going on and the barometric pressure is dropping it's sort of it's I almost want the word plastic keeps like coming into my mind like the film itself was like permeable to all of these production issues and that you know the the ending changed because of what happened with Jamie and the shooting and all of these things so it's like I feel like there's the production stories where they're trying to say, oh no, this didn't happen at all. Uh, we're gonna cover it up, everything's fine. We're gonna reshoot it. And then there's this film, which is like kind of embracing the messiness in a way. And it it lends to the air of like danger and chaos that I think this film sort of, we we love that aspect of this movie, that yeah. that it feels affected by the environment and the circumstances under which they were shooting and and that it feels palpable. So it's interesting that it's it's more it's it's like the troubled production and the text itself are like sort of interlocked in a way that that other troubled production stories or films that had troubled productions
2: might not be in the same way. You know, I'll tell you, you may lose all respect for me, but the dirty little secret is I have never seen Miami Vice. (laughs) We
1: got to We've got to
2: watch
3: it. We've got got to watch it. You've you've, You've got to watch it for us. It's a, it's an excellent, we spent lots of time talking about it. It's an excellent movie. And there is things like, for example, you talk about Chloe Zhao with the rider, something that I know you would have seen. There are things in that movie that she's just capturing sunsets and people like stalking across hillscapes and you are just like these rolling dales of people on a horse and it's just magisterial. Uh, Miami Vice has the inverse of that. What Katie's talking about, it's like really hostile people, and in the background, a storm front that's like bubbling and simmering, yes. like 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 toffee in a pot. And you're like, that's not a fake storm. That's,
4: <laughs> that's Hurricane great. Katrina, right? So, <laughs>
3: like, so so there minor is minor little
2: hurricane. So, yeah.
3: so there is just that. That's what this movie had. There's a secret source that you can't you can't fake sometimes, yeah, but. but
2: thank you make the movie i like to think that you don't have to endanger your crew oh, and torture your people No, I we're not, we're not, just to qualify
3: we're not saying we're not saying that <laughs>
2: we're not saying, just just that, okay. that that's that, just that
3: you know to exactly your point sometimes when the movie comes out um for, for a certain group of fans at the time immediate people were immediate adopters and then it it has had a long tail, like it has had this continual reappraisal. Um, and and that's part of what our show is doing is just reappraising this thing over. Yes, the-
2: well, that's what the studio said at the time. Yeah. I've never analyzed it. Like, I don't know where it is on Rotten Tomatoes or what the ultimate box office of it was. Uh, so I don't know.
1: I will say that on film Twitter, especially in the past couple of years, like it's definitely had like a cult resurgence. Like I keep seeing more and more people Yeah, so it's it's almost become a cult movie. Like I, I also I'm not totally sure if it was considered that successful. Cause yeah, they were hoping for you know like DVD, Blu-ray sales uh, after it came out, and and I'm not sure even if it if it was a success in home entertainment. But um, yeah, it, about 15 years later, it's kind of you know, gaining some, some cult status, or maybe that's just the people that I follow on Twitter.
2: <laughs> well, maybe so. Yeah. I don't remember seeing it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, I mean, there are a lot of Michael Mann fans out there, so probably, right. you know, they're looking at it and it's, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I wrote about it and I, it didn't, I don't remember it getting such good reviews that I felt like, oh yes, I know I have to go watch Miami Vice, but, uh, it may have had a long tail. I don't know. I mean, nowadays, that's another thing that we're seeing the end of is, you know, the studios pushing everything towards streaming, which I think is a very dangerous game that they're playing, but they choose to play it now. They're obsessed with their streamers and they are sacrificing things that could be sold in multiple markets for many millions of dollars. And that's is it worth it? Well, I think people are going to get hurt. Interesting
3: there were filmmakers who got to make a lot of films in the late 90s and early 2000s that film that film studios almost accepted were not going to make money at the theater and accepted that in home entertainment and international releases that's where they'd recoup their immediate budget and then therefore the tail of that potential you know sale to television stations and all those sort of things would be factored
2: into the long
3: all the many, ta- many
2: windows. Yeah. The the windows. TV and yeah. you know free TV and the airplane and the hotel room, all of these things that throw off money. You know, when you put things day and date, we're still in a very experimental moment where if you put it to the streamer and, and, you know, movie theaters aren't completely open now. So we're, we're, we're in this weird phase, but certainly if you're, if you're Chris Nolan, you think this is a very bad business decision. Um, And he is not alone in that respect. He's obviously a big theater booster, but he also makes a business argument. Uh, He also makes a business argument that a lot of people think, you know, you're you're taking your life in your hands when you put everything on a streamer and the streamers are under pressure to constantly produce fresh content to keep you from churning out of your subscription. So if you're going to put all your movies on that and strangle movie theaters because they're not enough, you don't have enough exclusive product, yeah, we're seeing this drama play out in real real time. It's just playing out with Quiet Place too, where you know.
3: Yeah, I was just gonna. That's exactly. what I was just gonna mention the pa- Paramount versus uh, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski at the moment because so much of their incentivized pay packets that they probably took a significant. Se- took they significantly to back less, back there, right? <laughs> took, um, is now in jeopardy because if they put it day and date onto a Paramount Plus or something like that or, or, or earlier, well, then...
2: The- but I mean, they, they have said it's a 45-day window, but yeah. it's. I don't think the rules are so clear. Like, is it really 45 exclusive days or can they pull it out early if it somehow falters? And, you know, so, and I, you know I think it's a little simple because it's almost more... It's not so much Paramount. I think Paramount actually does want to protect the theatrical window, and is having more pressure from inside. Like, can't we put it on Paramount Plus? We need to goose this thing. It's kind of the also ran. Can't we just get some heat on that? And I, I think, you know, the uh, the studio is in the, squeezed in the middle trying to protect and preserve theaters and keep up relationships with talent like John Krasinski and at the same time placate their owners and their masters tough tough time in the movie movie business for sure
3: really tough two things because we just talked about it miami vice grossed 164 million dollars worldwide on the budget yeah, of that's one, not gonna cut it that's not, <laughs> that's not gonna not gonna cut it because um the the Official budget was 135 million, but according to Kim's great article, it's like north of 150. Um, And And forget
2: the tens of millions they spent on marketing. Also, that's something people tend to forget. And it's still,
3: it's it's still got a 46 on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) And now
2: you know (laughs) why.
3: 46. That's a travesty. (laughs) That's wild. That is a travesty. yeah but, i mean what's more telling katie and i have never i i rarely check this but like there's a 43 percent for audience so audiences are still soft on it and i'm like huh, oh I wow wonder, yeah that that turned around. that's a funny that's a funny one
2: i think michael mann hurt himself with uh that miami vice display i really do i mean i haven't looked at his imdb page to remember it afterwards but did he get another big movie i can't remember
3: public enemies came after public enemies came after and uh there was apparently friction between him and Depp during the production of public enemies that's sort of in, that's in <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> I wish I had to, I wish I had a GIF of Kim's face. To, <laughs> shocking. I just I would I want I want that to to tweet to people who tell me obvious things from now on. Oh my god, that was amazing. Um, no, so apparently it was that, but I there's not a re- like there's not a a version of your story that is so clinical that says this is uh, accounts from the crew that this was the challenge. It's just sort of in the ether, um, and then after that. After public enemies is black hat with Chris Hemsworth another, there were all three of them that were universal pictures. Um, and then with black hat, that was one that was sort of dead on arrival from the studio. The studio were just like, we don't don't, like (laughs) overwhelmingly, were like, this is barely going to get a release in the States. It was a Chris Hemsworth who's Australia's biggest movie star right now. It was coming to Australia to get a premiere with Michael Mann and everything in tow, and universal went, Nope. And just killed (laughs) it. I don't feel it like like, it's like right? yeah <laughs> it's like not not going to happen so yeah it's yeah that that one since then it's it's kind of those three films with universal it's been lots of yeah, kickstarts and then it-
2: you know i think you know a couple of things happen right That first of all people say life is too short that happened with scott Rudin, who was who does business with the a24 but the studios got fed up with him I think back when he did The Hours in like 2003, it was like, Jesus Christ, you are so high maintenance and your movies aren't that commercial and we're just not doing it. Uh, And they lost interest in the more adult type of movie, that kind of scripted stuff that they don't do so much became all about these comic book things and superhero things. So you see a combination of factors, I think. And then there's a thing with directors, you know, not that many directors can maintain, you know, you remember Barry Levinson was rolling along for years and then it just kind of stopped you know steven spielberg has been he's had some hits and misses but he has been certainly in terms of longevity it's been pretty amazing but that's exceptional i feel like directors i don't know whether it's a question of just you know they're they're out of sudden they're not so in sync with the zeitgeist anymore or they're a step slower or whatever but it's very hard to sustain over years I think that kind of career as a director it's uh you know he he had a look and a feel that was very hot and then it became different the movie stopped working was it him was it the world I don't know I'm curious
1: about I I, w- I was I noted rereading your article that um you mentioned that man and and Jamie Fox were gonna do the kingdom and you were you were basically saying here's this really troubled production and Jamie Fox you know left and he you know changed the ending but they're actually going to work together again and uh and then peter berg ended up directing the kingdom and i'm and i know man produced but i i'm i'm like i wonder if there's a story
2: there i was trying to find it it could be i don't know but it could be as simple as i mean it could be any number of explanations there may be a story there and maybe that jamie didn't want to work with him it may be that he didn't want to work with jamie it may be that he got something else he wanted to do but it's just yeah it feels like yeah, it feels like that didn't happen. (laughs) A lot of things don't happen in Hollywood. Right.
1: I mean, you know, it just could be one thing. Oh, you know, we're going to have Peter Burke do this instead or whatever happened. Maybe nothing, nothing dramatic at all. But I was like,
2: oh, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder what happened there. I mean, if I'm Jamie Foxx and somebody is shot right, like right (laughs) outside the gates of where I'm shooting, because I'm in a place where there's no security wasn't handled properly. And then you're asking me to go risk my neck and i'm I, and you know jamie has his own issues apparently he's scared of planes and trains and i don't know whatever i love that he's scared of planes and boats and he spends
1: like a third of this movie in planes and boats <laughs> like, <laughs> literally
2: driving planes and boats <laughs> flying and I, I can feel that that i can relate to those anxieties especially there The prep might have been a little bit like, are you changing your mind about something that's not going to make this unsafe? So he may not have wanted to put himself in Michael Mann's hands anymore. You know, I don't know. He might've said, forget it. I just, uh, I never followed up to find out.
3: Kim, can I just say one thing that I want to just recommend to everyone listening? Firstly, is obviously to to read this article and continue following you in the business. But there's just one thing that I love doing. And this is a really perverse thing that I want to recommend (laughs) is, is reading your terrific article. And then going and finding on YouTube, the, just the, the canned like junket interviews where lots of people are like, so you guys have done Miami Vice. Are you going to do another one? And watching the quality of the acting between Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, trying to be like, yeah, of course, we'd love to work together again. This was a blast. Michael Mann is excellent. It's just, it just like, look, I love like, I don't want anyone for a second to think that Katie and I don't love this movie. We love it. And sometimes the reality <laughs> is stranger than fiction behind the scenes of making movies. So I just want to just put it out there, but man, I love that. Cause you just know, like, no, there, this movie was chaos. And part of that real chaos, whatever intangible quality that has is in the movie. Does it make all movies great? Absolutely not. But is it evident in this movie? It does. And I, oh, man, I love reading your article, hearing about all this chaos and then watching them just do a normal junket popcorn <laughs> daytime tv interview it just tickles me it always every amazes time.
2: me that you can write an article like that like mine and then no one at the junket dares to say <laughs> dude come on ask a question come on be brave just ask you can say that other bad person wrote about this so i have to ask you because my boss told me i do but just go ahead, just stick your little neck out, but don't do it. P- There's a P-
1: lot of scary publicists like yeah. st- staring daggers at you saying, don't ask any questions. I, never I just
2: am like, get out of my
1: out of my studio. <laughs> what is your favorite line from the article? And then I'll share my favorite line from the oh, article.
2: <laughs> that is a great no, you're not point. asking. I no, do no. Not have Kim,
1: a <laughs> you can also share your favorite line from the article. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, We're just my, fan fanboying and fan when I, said it, I sent it to my editor and was done. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs>
3: yeah. You're
2: like turning it in, being done.
3: <laughs> be, being done is my uh, look, good. Um My
1: own
2: boss used to say, finished is better than good. <laughs> exactly. That's how I live my life as well.
3: <laughs> uh, my absolute favorite, uh, and, and will actually be the title of this episode, um, The Sound of Silence. My favorite line in Kim's wonderful article is, asked about Fox's departure, Man doesn't speak for a moment and then he says you hear the sound of silence <laughs> I just I just I love it silence
2: I, I it's love <laughs> it
3: so much so much Katie
1: Okay so mine has to do with Hurricane Wilma which okay if Hurricane Katrina was threatening the production and then they get all the way to Hurricane Wilma like <laughs> they named them alphabetically. That means there were a lot of well, Yeah, <laughs> In between I didn't Katrina and up. Wilma. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Having grown up in hurricane land, I'm like uh, familiar with how they do this. But um, so Hurricane Wilma struck Miami, heavily damaging the production office. And then it says, and the power was out. The city was dark. High level studio insider is, says, this is where man's personality actually paid off or not for his ins- his insanity. His dedication <laughs> his knowledge as a producer we would have been shut down so i just feel like there's so much in that sentence like yes it was insane but he was also <laughs> dedicated and he did know what he was doing um yes we were just you know our production office was just taken out by a hurricane but we managed to pull something
2: off of <laughs> the w's a w hurricane yeah A W I mean, hurricane like- yeah and there were multiple quotes throughout where it's just kind of like the studio is somewhat surrendering but like Yes, it was insane. But oh, yeah. you know, we're going to make money eventually. <laughs> maybe he, like at some point, they're not going all the way to the the lie about it was great and we're rich. <laughs> they just are kind of like, yeah, maybe it'll be, it'll be, it might work out. It might. <laughs> it was crazy. But that might have been good.
1: <laughs> Later in the paragraph, I think the same studio executive says, "But for Michael's indomitable bullheadedness." It would have been much worse, oh
3: and God. so it's just—it's just the greatest. It's—it's like, it's, but we that. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's just a chorus line of like backhanded compliments. Like it was right. insane, but he's yeah. bareheaded but
2: yeah. <laughs> they know at that point they're, they're probably heading for a loss and a problem on their balance sheet and they're being asked to defend the damn thing when this guy's undoubtedly driven them crazy and <laughs> tortured them and caused problems with their talent and so they're trying to grit their teeth and say yeah it was it was just not a complete disaster wow. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think what i love about this article is that
1: everyone seems very honest in it and sometimes you can read these articles where it feels like spin or people are defending things or not sharing things and like that might might have been the case when you were um you know obviously you said he lied about the hurricane warning versus the hurricane watch but what comes out in the piece that you actually wrote feels very real and so i think that that is what we love so much about reading it that it well, feels what you have to
2: do as a reporter is know you're right or believe that you're right you know i i you have to be able to because they will say that's not true and you know i will sometimes say is that what you're going to say? Is that your your final word? Because I think you're not. You know, it's not. I know I'm right, and then they kind of go. ah, oh, Let me. I just give want you to more. say this,
3: Kim. I love you. That's so great. Is that your? Uh, oh, interesting. Is that your take? Is that is that where we're going with this? I just. I'm love link to that
2: bit because I'm not. Bit is not going to work in this piece. But you can lie for uh, the world if you want to. So oh yes, gosh. I think maybe that's why they were a little more candid. They knew that I knew.
3: Yeah, I mean, like you said. The examples that we kicked off our entire conversation, uh, and, and, uh, and the impulse is you can have disgruntled individuals on sets and sometimes they're more toxic, like you can feel a toxicity of like, you hear a report of an actor not getting on with the director individually, but the rest of the film has a cohesion, but like you said, when you're getting half the crew like, War well, yeah, Z, exactly. like turning up, calling you like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to talk. You don't even have an article <laughs> ready. You're like, okay, I'm better start typing. <laughs> I'll start recording this conversation that that's a completely different animal. So yeah, for example, you know, in this case and, um, you know, Katie and I have talked about it recently for other things, but it was just like, I also imagine if you're working with a crew who lives in Florida and there is a hurricane, there is a, I mean, we've just gone through a pandemic. There's, potentially people's families are in danger or hometowns are in danger. And there's a whole air of compassion that probably needs to be laid over that lens, like a compassionate lens. Like we're all working here. We know that we just don't want this thing to shut down because we don't want it to get away from us or whatever, or blow out or the studio to can us. So we're just going to, we're going to take it to the limit to in the parlance (laughs) of this movie, but, but you can totally understand people being less inclined for BS if they've got family in danger or their hometown's in danger or it's underwater or whatever they were
2: really mad i mean that's an extraordinary thing for crew to send you their pay stubs you know they were really really mad yeah and they should have been i think they were completely right there's no excuse It's no excuse i'm sorry for your movie you're gonna do that to people it's not okay oh my god yeah
1: sometimes i have to just say to myself you know in this world that we live in like it's just movies you know in the industry that we work in in the in everything we, we take it very seriously and it's very important there's a lot on the line but it's just a movie
3: <laughs> at the, not end worth
2: of the day. risking lives i mean yeah, I, yeah. You're I not, i'm thinking we're at me. a turning point in the industry where you're gonna get called out i feel like you know people are emboldened now and a lot of these uh younger people who are gen z they're not there for it you know they're like yeah. If you listen to the episode we did with Scott Rudin's assistants, you know, they're like, what is this crap? You know, they get to they all got to that point and they're they're on the record. They're talking publicly with their actual names, which it's not like news that Scott Rudin was an abusive nightmare. It's I wrote about it in 2003. And yeah. Swing Sharks is before that in the 90s. Everybody knew it's the open, it was more open of a secret than Harvey Weinstein. And yet only in this moment is it a thing. And I hope that means something. You know, yeah. I hope that if if a Michael Mann type of director decides to start doing this to people, they will be on the phone fast to the press and and blow the whistle. Yeah. You know, we protect them. I mean, we don't you didn't. nobody got uh, outed as a source on this thing. We're careful with people's careers. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> you're not putting him, you're not putting them in a hurricane. You're, you're, you're protecting their clients.
2: And, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, it would, it would not help. Like a lot of people put their hands, their career in your hands with, they have an NDA, whatever. We don't take that lightly. I mean, I certainly don't. I always tell people, know your reporter, don't call somebody you don't feel you can trust who doesn't have a good reputation. Yeah. But we take it very, very seriously. If you're going to come to us with a story, we're going to protect you no matter what.
1: Well, thank you, Kim. This was an awesome conversation. So, so interesting and and like a lot to chew over. And, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us because this was just
3: awesome.
2: Uh, it was my pleasure. I'm glad we got to do it indeed uh, just a
3: brilliant chat thank you kim and just one thing we just hope that you just check in with us once you actually if ever see miami vice,
2: miami vice <laughs> so that that 40 something percent on both audience and Chris, very compelling argument uh, i will <laughs> you know when we have a guest on the show we watch we feel like we have to watch at least most or you know and there are times when i'm like give me strength <laughs> <laughs> And there are times that i'm genuinely happy when i like something so that i don't have to be scared that you know they'll say well did you, what did you think and i'm the terrible liar so i i <laughs> like look over there <laughs> well, what <whatever> we're having <laughs> this podcast
1: is here to to erase the 46 percent on rotten God. tomatoes be time. Be time. Be time. and trust us okay. and also watch the theatrical cut